But I do want to tell you how to vote. So not who to vote for, but how to vote. I think it's really important that as Christians, we exercise the democratic right that we are allowed by our nation to vote wisely. Because everybody, I'm sure, knows that the government, the federal government, state governments and local government, they all have a very significant role to play in our lives. And so I want to start, first perhaps I should say, I probably am biased. I guess everybody is. We, all of us have political views. I should confess I am a member of the Australian Conservatives Party. Prior to that, I was a member of Family First. That was a political party which was started primarily to support families from a godly, biblical perspective. The Family First Party was actually founded by Andrew Evans, who was a long-time president, national president of Australian Christian churches. Uh, he was living in South Australia at the time, and he won a seat in the upper house of the South Australian Parliament. He was there, I believe, for 12 years. Uh, Andrew has since retired. He now lives at Runaway Bay. And I, I run into Andrew on a fairly regular basis. He is an amazing man, absolutely amazing man. He was an ACC pastor. He was a missionary. And uh, finally, before he sort of finally decided to retire, and he hasn't properly retired, of course, he was uh, a member of the upper house in South Australia. Uh, Family First merged with uh, the Australian Conservatives about 18 months ago, I think it would have been. And uh, the Australian Conservatives are fielding candidates in the Senate only. They're not fielding any candidates in the, uh, the lower house, the House of Representatives. I do know Corey Bernardi, who's the leader of Australian Conservatives. I know Simon Green, who's the Queensland President. I know Simon very well, actually. The lead candidate for Australian Conservatives is Lyle Shelton. I've known Lyle for 25 years and I would love to see him in the Parliament because he's a steadfast, upright man, a very, very committed Christian as well. Uh, one of the others on the team is Joanna Lindgren. I know her as well. She was formerly a Liberal Party Senator. Uh, in the federal parliament. So she's now standing for Australian Conservatives. So you know that about me, all right? And uh, that's probably important because nobody really comes to any discussion about politics or elections without their, their own priors. We, we, we've all made up our mind, generally speaking, one way or another, about what is right and what is wrong politically. What I want to do, though, is to start with a scriptural foundation. This is not about parties. It's not even necessarily about individuals at this point. I want to share with you a, a biblical basis for making decisions about how to exercise your right to vote. And uh, in Proverbs... Proverbs 13, 4, and I've, I've got two translations there, the New King James Version, which some of you will be familiar with, and uh, then the New Living Translation Version. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any nation. Alternatively, godliness makes a nation great, 
but sin is a disgrace to any people. So I guess if uh, the President of the United States wants to make America great, godliness is the key. If Clive Palmer wants to make Australia great, godliness is the key. So godliness is a very important issue when it comes to choosing those people who will lead our nation at any level, at local government level, at state level, or indeed at the level of the federal government here in Australia. Similarly, in Proverbs 29, verse 2, and this was uh, the verse that was quoted on the, on the prayer page in that um, invitation to pray and fast from Kenneth Copeland Ministries. Proverbs 29, 2 says, When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, the people groan. So righteousness, godliness, really are the touchstone. So when we're considering how we're going to allocate our votes in an election, the really important issue is not the party. The really important issue is the degree to which we believe that a candidate is a righteous or godly person. That is the key. And we should, in fact, as it were, be undecided voters until we have found out for ourselves whether or not there are folk who have put themselves forward for election to the parliament who are righteous, godly people who take the Bible as the basis for their contribution to our nation. There's another, another proverb which I think is relevant here as well. It's Proverbs 11, verses 10 to 11. The whole city celebrates when the godly succeed. They shout for joy when the wicked die. Upright citizens are good for a city and make it prosper, but talk of the wicked tears it apart. As we know, Proverbs is regarded as one of the books of wisdom in the Bible. Uh, wisdom and godliness are equated in Proverbs. Foolishness and wickedness are also equated in Proverbs. Wisdom has social repercussions. Wisdom or godliness goes well beyond the individual, goes well beyond the family, goes well beyond the neighbourhood and extends to the city and indeed to the nation. So does foolishness or wickedness. Wisdom is fundamentally about order and a godly fear, a reverential fear of God. Foolishness or wickedness brings grief because it tears people apart and they perish. So when we have godly, wise leaders in our parliaments, we have order and we have prosperity. 
Now, both of those are issues that are important to God. Order means justice. Order means that we're willing to give up our own personal ambition or desire or need for the betterment of others. But when our leaders are foolish or wicked, it ultimately tears people apart and undermines community. And we perish. We perish either literally or metaphorically. So these scriptures, I believe, are quite important in setting the scene for our own approach to making a decision about where to allocate our vote in the upcoming election. Now, I just want to point out something about our Prime Minister. That's a photo of him worshipping God in his local church on Easter Sunday. His church is Horizon Church in, Sutherland, in, in the southern area of uh, Sydney. It happens to be an ACC church, so it belongs to the same movement, of course, that, that we belong to. And that photo there is him and his wife worshipping the Lord, as I said, on Easter Sunday. Now, it's interesting that there was a lot of criticism levelled at him, including people saying on social media, looks like a Hitler salute. Well, of course, when we raise our hands and praise the Lord, it's anything but a Hitler salute. And he was courageous enough, and I've heard him say things like this on a number of occasions. He was courageous to, enough to say about that commentary and others like it, it's disgusting, these grubs are gutless, and they're keyboard warriors in their mother's basement trying to make heroes of themselves. But the great Australian people are much bigger than them. I've heard him on numerous occasions defend positions that are thoroughly consistent with a biblical worldview. Now, I know that because I know the Bible. Most of the commentators have no idea because they've never been anywhere near a Bible, much less worship in a church, Pentecostal church at that. Now, that doesn't mean we should vote for his party, but I do think it's important that we recognise that today we do have a Prime Minister who is a committed Christian. And he, in fact, attends an ACC church. Not that that means we're any, he's any better than many others, but I think it gives you some idea of where he comes from in terms of the way in which he does politics. We were chatting earlier uh, during worship practice about the fact that from his party at least, there hasn't been the same kind of dirty tactics in the campaign that has been characteristic of the last few federal elections. And I think that reflects his leadership. Because what leaders do filters down. Now, as I said, I'm not saying you should vote for his party, but I do think you should consider what it means for the nation when a righteous man is right at the top leading us. I want to make a couple of points 
now that are relevant to us locally. Many, many people say your vote doesn't count. Many, many people say that. In fact, I've said it myself without really understanding that it's not true. Your vote does count. It does matter. It's very important that you be registered as an elector and it's very important that you exercise your right to vote. I've um, put up a little bit of information about the sitting members. They're also up for re-election at this, this election of the electorates that I believe cover everybody who regularly attends Ignite Life Church. Most will either be in Ford or, or Fadden. Uh, both both um, of those electorates are named after previous Prime Ministers. And uh, Blair was actually named after an artist who was also a philanthropist. In Ford, the sitting member is Bert Van Manen. He's been in there for two terms and this would be his uh, third term should he be elected. Uh, the electorate of Ford is swung between the Labor Party and uh, the Nas uh, what do we call ourselves in Queensland, the LNP, the Liberal National Party, has swung between those two over the last 12 or 15 years. So it's, it's a very, very marginal electorate. It's one of the slimmest margins in Australia. By, by that we mean that following the redistribution of electoral boundaries that happened last year, he currently holds that seat with a majority of 0.6%. So it could take just a few votes to swing to uh, Des Hardman, who's the uh, Labor candidate in that electorate. Now, Bert Van Manen is a Christian, and I can verify that because I know him. I've sat with him in his parliamentary office in, in Canberra. Um, it, and I think it's important to understand something about the way people vote as well because the, the way you vote really, I think, uh, reveals what's in, in, in your heart. And from a Christian point of view, probably the most important vote in the parliament over the last few years has been the vote on same-sex marriage. As you know, there was a vitriolic campaign. Uh, Christians in particular had a pretty hard time because any Christian leader who spoke out against it was vilified publicly. And uh, LNP in Queensland, they sit with the Liberals in, in, in the Parliament in Canberra. So if you're elected in Queensland as an LNP member, Liberal National Party, when you go to Canberra, you choose either to sit with the Liberals or with the Nationals because they don't have a Liberal National Party at a federal level, if you can understand all that. So his seat is fairly safe with an 11.2% margin after the redistribution last year. Uh, Stuart also abstained from voting in the same-sex uh, marriage vote. Blair, which um, I'm pretty sure that's where um, Barb and, and Gary are, although I don't think they can vote because they're not Australian citizens, but um, that's beside the point. Shane Newman, I, I know Shane as well, I've met Shane. And uh, he's a Christian, he's a member of the ALP with a very safe seat with a margin of 
56.1%, he voted in favour of the same-sex marriage bill. Now, that's very interesting. In his case, he was very strongly against it until pretty late in the piece when he changed his views publicly on a whole range of issues that touch on biblical values. Um, it's not for me to make a judgment as to whether or not he's a real Christian, but I do think the way people vote does reveal something of what's in their heart. Now, just to talk a little bit about that same-sex marriage vote, I, I did my research and I found out how all of the federal uh, members of parliament voted. There were only four, I think, who voted against the legislation. One Liberal, two National and one Independent. There might have been five. Um, and they were all men. There were 10 MPs who abstained. That included uh, Bert Van Manen and Stuart Robert. Uh, Scott Morrison, our Prime Minister, he also abstained. So did Tony Abbott, who was also a very strong advocate of traditional marriage. Interestingly, not a single woman in the federal parliament either abstained or voted against it. Every single one of them voted for the changes to the Marriage Act that legalised same-sex marriage. And the only political parties represented among those who either voted against it or abstained were the Liberal and National and, of course, the LNP, the Queensland uh, members who either voted against it or who abstained. Now, I happen to think that's important because I think it's reasonable for us as voters to anticipate that the people whom we vote for will actually uphold standards of righteousness and godliness in the, in the parliament. And I think it's perfectly in order for us to ask them how they would vote on similar legislation before we make up our minds about to whom we allocate our vote. Now, I've got a video that I want to show you from um, Dave Pellow. Again, I'm very careful about what I say or promote from the pulpit. Again, I know Dave Pellow personally. He runs an organisation called Church and State. Uh, they run an annual conference, which is an outstanding conference on biblical worldview as it impacts upon uh, life in the political realm. Now, everybody should have received this in the mail by now. Everyone who's got a letterbox or a postbox should have received a document which is called your official guide to the 2019 federal election. If you haven't, go and check your mail over the last few days because these things were delivered last week. And it tells you very clearly how to vote in the federal election. Your vote does count, but to make it count, you have to vote correctly. In the lower house, that's the House of Representatives, you have to vote in order of your preference for everybody on the list. So if there are 10 candidates, you've got to number the candidates 1 to 10. If there are 7, you've got to number the candidates 1 to 7. And this video by Dave Pellow explains exactly how and why it is that your vote counts. Uh, in the Senate, it's different and it's very confusing because in the Senate, you can vote above the line or below the line. Above the line, when you tick a box, 
your vote is distributed according to the way in which the party has determined. And if you're going above the line, you've got to do six boxes in preference, one to six. You can do 12 boxes, but you have to do a minimum of six. Now, if you decide to vote below the line, then you've got, I'm pretty sure you've got to do at least 12, all right? At least 12 in order of your preference when you vote below the line in the Senate. Anyway, I want to show you this video. It runs for nine minutes. It runs for a little while, but I think it's really worth listening to someone who's actually done their homework. Your preferences work when voting in Australian federal elections. Voting with preferences holds a lot of mystery and confusion for many first-time voters, as well as Australians who've been voting for a long time. However, it's extremely important to understand how our democracy works and how to vote, so you can make it work for you without being led astray by self-serving politicians or mainstream media agendas. Here's a quick explanation of how preferences work, so you can think for yourself and increase the quality of representation in our government. Write any questions you have which I may not answer in the comments below and share this video with your friends. The Federal Parliament is made up of two chambers also called Houses or Assemblies. The House of Representatives is also called the Lower House. The Senate is called the Upper House. Legislation is only passed and becomes law when a majority of the politicians in both Houses vote in favour of it. There are 150 members of Parliament elected to the House of Representatives each representing a voting district called an electorate. Every three years we have a federal election when all seats are declared vacant and must be voted for again. The government is generally formed by the party or team of parties, which gains a clear majority of the 150 seats. The opposition is formed by the party with the next greatest number of seats. Only the government MPs get to vote on who their leader in parliament is, and that person becomes the prime minister. We don't get to vote for the Prime Minister. We only get to vote for the Member of Parliament to represent our electorate. To do that, we have to complete an official piece of paper called a ballot and vote either via post or at an official voting location called a polling place on Election Day or in a limited time before Election Day. Every approved candidate for your electorate will be listed on your ballot paper with an empty box beside their name. It is compulsory to number every box with a 1 for your favourite candidate, a 2 for your second favourite candidate, a 3 for your third favourite candidate, and so on down your list until you put the highest number for your least preferred candidate last. You may not put any other marks on your ballot. You may not leave any boxes empty. You may not skip any numbers. If you make a mistake, you should ask the polling official for a new ballot it's very important to get it right. This system is called compulsory preferential voting. When the votes are counted after the polls have closed, the person with the lowest number of votes is excluded and all of the ballots in his or her pile are examined to see who got the second preference vote on each ballot. Those votes then go to the respective candidates and their total number of votes is increased accordingly. Then the candidate with the lowest number of votes will again be knocked out of the running and the ballots in their pile will be distributed to the remaining candidates with the highest preference on each ballot being redistributed. This process happens over and over again until all but two candidates remain in the contest and the person with the most votes is declared the winner. 
If you sequentially numbered every box on your ballot and your primary preference, your favourite candidate, was knocked out early on, your vote can't be wasted because it will keep moving to support your next favourite candidate. The person you voted was the best amongst the candidates remaining. You don't get extra votes. The full value of your one vote simply moves from one candidate to another until you finally get a say between the two most popularly preferred candidates. One of the myths thrown around carelessly, especially by major political parties, is the danger of splitting the vote if too many similar candidates run for election. The opposite is in fact true. Because of preferential voting, your vote is never, ever wasted if you number every box and everyone's voice is heard when it finally comes down to the two most popular candidates. This means you can safely vote for a minor party candidate, confident that if they're excluded before the final two, your vote will still have full value in helping decide between the final two. Another myth is that political parties control voter preferences. That simply isn't true. The only person controlling the distribution of preferences is the person marking the secret ballot in the privacy of their voting booth, you. The only choices parties and politicians have is what preference recommendations they will make on their how-to-vote flyers, which are offered by their volunteers on election day. You don't even have to take these. If you want to be a responsible, patriotic voter who doesn't waste their vote for our future, care enough about your neighbours and nation to decide before election day which candidate represents your values best and in what order you prefer the other candidates to represent your values when important issues come before Parliament. If you don't know how the other candidates represent you, Google them and ask. No one controls your preferences except you. Is this video helping you? If so, please share it. Please remember this explanation only applies to federal elections. The rules for state elections are a little different and vary from state to state. Now, while you vote for a single local representative for your electorate in the lower house, you also get to vote for the representatives of your whole state in the upper house, also called the Senate. That's the huge white ballot with dozens and dozens of candidates' names on it. Each state has 12 senators and each territory has just two, and half of the state senators must alternately recontest their position at each election to be elected for a six-year term starting July 1st. They don't represent a local electorate or even a region. Your whole state or territory is their electorate. To make your Senate ballot a valid vote, you must number at least six groups of candidates above the line or at least 12 individual candidates below the thick black line. If you vote above the line, the candidates in the groups you vote for will get your vote in the order they're already printed on the ballot. If you want to vote for them in a different order of preferences, you'll need to vote for them below the line, in the order you prefer, and completely ignore all boxes above the line. When voting below the line, you have maximum control over your preferences and can vote for anyone in any group in any order, as long as you number at least 12 boxes and don't repeat or skip any numbers. In my opinion, the upper house is where minor parties and independents can be most useful to prevent a bad government from doing too much damage by blocking bad legislation. That's what the Senate is for. While it can be daunting to number every single box below the line, doing so will give you the most control over your vote and the best government possible. If you don't number every box, there's a chance your vote could be exhausted 
and wasted if all the people you did vote for got excluded before the final round. One way to reduce the risk of not numbering every box is to make sure you vote for at least one major party candidate as they are the most likely to be in the final round anyway. That way, even if you do give your higher vote preferences in the Senate to minor party candidates, your vote has very little chance of being exhausted, which means running out of candidates you voted for, as long as you eventually voted for one or more major party candidates. Of course, if you number every box below the line and carefully double-check to make sure you haven't skipped or repeated any numbers, you can be guaranteed your vote cannot be wasted and that you're not splitting the vote. Remember, if you do make a mistake, you can always get a fresh one from a polling official. The current Senate voting rules have removed any advantage minor parties previously had and now tend to favour medium-sized parties when people simply vote above the line. The most control and best result for your vote will be if you number as many boxes as possible below the line. You may not usually be interested in politics and it might be more complicated than you like, but it is less effort than some important purchases and getting it wrong can severely affect or tremendously help a lot more people. Let's care about other people enough to put the modest effort required into understanding our democracy and how voting works and get the best government possible. If you have any questions or would like me to make a video explaining anything else, please leave a comment below. If you like someone else's question or suggestion, give it a thumbs up. Don't forget to subscribe to my channel and click the bell to see new videos first. If you think this video could help people you know, please share it on your favourite social media channels and head over to davepello.com to subscribe to my newsletter and see recent videos and articles. This video was brought to you by the Pello Talk Partners, individuals helping educate and empower people to promote just and wise government. Did a far better job than I could have, that's for sure. So, um, yeah, you can actually grab that to look at it again if you need to. It's on YouTube. Just search Dave Pello Election and it'll come right up in your search on, on, on um, YouTube, I should say, not Facebook, YouTube. Well, yeah, your vote certainly does count. Uh, there is one senator, a senator from Queensland, who's in the uh, federal senate at the moment, who got just 19 what they call primary votes, 19 number ones. He got 19 number one votes and he still got into the Senate. So your vote really matters because it does actually count. So, yeah, think, think about that. It's very, very important. I just want to spend a few moments talking about what I thought considered to be the big issues um, in the upcoming election. And look, different people will have different issues, there's no doubt about that. But I, I think the biggest, the biggest thing at stake in the next few years is actually going to be religious freedom and freedom of speech in general. And there are significant differences between the main parties in the parliament over issues concerning religious freedom and freedom of speech. There is, in fact, quite a stark contrast between the two sides, and you need to do your research to decide uh, which side is least likely to undermine the religious freedom and the freedom of speech that we have in our nation at the moment. 
Another big issue uh, surrounds abortion. Uh, one side of the, the um, political fence has made it very clear that they want abortions to be funded by the government, that's by us as taxpayers, through the Medicare system, right up until 37 weeks of gestation. And because the federal government provides funding to hospitals, the parties propose that they will make sure it happens because any hospital that says we won't do it will lose funding. And that includes not only um, public hospitals, but it will include hospitals run by the Catholic Church, for example, which of course is an infringement of religious freedom. So there's a stark contrast on one side versus another in that area. Uh, another area that it will come up undoubtedly is euthanasia, although it's primarily a state issue. Uh, the very first government to ever pass euthanasia legislation in Australia was in fact the Northern Territory Government during John Howard's time as Prime Minister. Because the Northern Territory is a territory and not a state, the Federal Government can overrule any legislation it passes and uh, John Howard's Government overruled that legislation which incidentally was brought by a Conservative Government. It was the Government led by Shane Stone. It was a country, they called themselves the Country Liberal Party, which was roughly the same thing as the coalition in Canberra. The ACT government was the first government in Australia to enact uh, same-sex marriage legislation. It was also overturned by the federal government when John Howard was Prime Minister. But euthanasia is going to become an issue, and as, as you know, there's legislation that's been passed in Victoria and uh, the Queensland Government is contemplating it as well. Another issue which I consider to be really second order, it's not a major, not as, not as important as issues such as religious freedom and abortion, is that government is pretty big in Australia and uh, the government soaks up nearly 40% of the equivalent of all of the income produced in our nation. Uh, during a year. It's not as big as government is in many, many other countries. There are lots of countries where it's 60% or higher. But what it means is that government becomes more and more involved in the lives of individuals. As it gets bigger, it tends to tax more, and then it hands out money on the basis of whether or not we do what it likes. So they set rules for social welfare and you've got to abide by all those rules. Now, we have had a tendency in Australia over the last 30 or 40 years or so of, of extending the reach of social policy. Uh, we spend, I think, about $170 billion on social welfare in Australia at the moment. That's federal government. That's a lot of money. So that's something to think about too, whether or not the candidate you support is a big government or a small government person. And generally speaking, this is only generally speaking, but generally speaking, religious freedom is less at risk when we have small government because there's less 
involvement of government in the lives of individuals when we have smaller rather than larger government. The most important thing is that we pray. The most important thing is that we pray. In uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, this is, what, this is what it says. This is from the New Living Translation. I urge you first of all to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live a peace, peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Saviour who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. So pray for those who are in government today and pray for those who will be elected to the federal parliament for the next three years. Dave Pillow says, in addition to praying, you can do three things. Become a genuinely undecided voter. Approach the candidates in your electorate or go to an electorate forum. There are forums in some electorates where all of the candidates appear. And ask them how they will vote on issues that matter to you. Don't ask them about what they believe because you'll just get an airy-fairy fairy floss type response, but ask them, how will you vote if legislation on this topic comes before the House? And they, they can only vote for, against or abstain. There's only three possible answers. Ask candidates about what matters to you. If you're really concerned about religious freedom, ask them. If you're really concerned about Assistance for families? Ask them. Whatever it is that concerns you, ask them. And then decide your own preference. Actually, the parties don't, they don't deliver preferences. They do what they call preference deals. But as Dave says, that's nothing more than a list of names on their how to vote cards that they'll hand out to you as you walk into the, uh, the room to, to um, fill in your ballot paper. But decide your own preferences. You work it out. Um, I tend to vote below the line for the Senate and um, I've got a very strict order in which I allocate my preferences in the lower house as well. And there are, there's one particular party that I always put absolutely last. I won't tell you what it is. They should buy me a coffee later. They're free. Oh, do they are too? <laughs> All right. Um, I don't really have time to, to speak about this, and I, maybe I'll take this up another day, but there is a picture of God's perfect, of, of good government, from a biblical perspective, and you'll actually find it in uh, 1 Kings 4. And uh, it goes from verse 20 to 25, but it really is about safety and security, access to the means of making a living, and working diligently. They're the three things. Government needs to ensure that we operate in a safe and secure environment. That means that our borders are safe and secure, and that means that our own home is safe and secure. That our kids are safe and secure when 
they go to school or wherever it is they go. In uh, the Hebrew way of thinking, the idea of living under your own grapevine or under your own fig tree is all about peace and prosperity. And the main contribution that government can make is safety and security. And it's quite an involved thing. I don't really have time to go into it in great detail today, but that is something that I may address a little bit in the future. In order to help you do your own research, um, there are a number of what I believe are quite reputable uh, websites. They don't all have their election material up yet. However, Family Voice does. Um, and I'll leave this brochure for you to have a look at. This is from Family Voice. They haven't put this up on their website yet. Highly reputable. I'm on one of their reference groups, which kind of keeps them honest. Uh, we meet only once a year, but we meet to ensure that they stick very strictly to their own um, constitution. So I've got great respect for this organisation. This uh, came in the mail to their, their members and supporters just in the last couple of weeks. Another one is Eternity News. I've got theirs is there is a page up on, on their website where they compare the Greens, Labor, uh, the Liberal Party and Australian Conservatives. The, the um, uh, Family Voice are only comparing the Liberal Party and the Labor Party, which one of them will for, form government after the election. Um, the Liberals perhaps in coalition, well they will, the Liberals in coalition with the Nationals and Labor, they won't call it a coalition, but it is, they'll be in coalition with the Greens should they take power. Um, so I'll, I'll put those up on the table up there if you want to have a, have a bit of a look at them, but you can actually download those now. The others are the Canberra Declaration, they're also running 21 days of prayer and fasting. They are publishing a different devotion. Uh, each day during this period running up to the election. Christian Federation is run by a good friend of mine, Peter Kentley, in uh, Melbourne. And uh, he, I think, will be putting up detailed information about the various party positions on issues of biblical morality. Uh, all of those websites I'm, I'm very comfortable in, in recommending to you. So I want to finish now just in, in prayer. Uh, Lord, we want to thank you that we are among the few on earth who have the privilege and the responsibility of voting in a democratic election. Our Lord, we can be confident that our vote is secret and that we won't be bullied into voting one way or the other. Nor will we be persecuted because of our vote. Father, we don't take this lightly and uh, we thank you that we are among the few on planet Earth who have this privilege. Father, we pray that you will guide us as we allocate our preferences at the upcoming federal election. Lord, may righteous, godly men and women be elected both to our Senate and to our House of Representatives. Father, may they be men and women who listen to you, who hear your heart for our nation. May they be people, Lord God, who are committed to justice and truth. Father, protect them, for they will have opposition. 
Lord, grant them wisdom. And Father, provide for them and keep them in your peace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that photo up there is a photo of a barbecue at a polling booth for the last election. And there is actually a website that you can go to on election day to find where the closest barbecue